Hi, I'm Oliver Lennon and welcome to the Sendeo podcast, uh, where we delve into all things conversational AI with some of the sharpest brains from some of the most innovative companies in the world of customer experience. These are not a series of interviews, but conversations, um, regular discourse designed to provoke, educate, enlighten the business professionals with insights, learning and guidance on leveraging conversational AI to deliver meaningful CX. Today, I'm joined by Dave Tenton, or DT, as he's known in the industry. So DT's been around in the CX space for quite a few years. He took a little bit of exception to my ageism comments, um, as you'll hear in the podcast. DT has worked with leading organizations such as the launch of Egg Bank back in the late 90s, BSkyB, Capital One, and is currently Senior Manager of Conversational AI and Chatbot and Voice within Vodafone. Conversation revolved really around uh, using concepts such as marginal gains to actually drive, use technology to drive business benefits. So Dave, as well as very experienced in the CX world, is an international cricketer with the England indoor cricket team and had represented them at the World Cup. Um, So a lot of conversation around how we can use those concepts in the business world, how to leverage and structure teams from an agile perspective, using concepts around conversational designers and what they're doing in there um, with Vodafone and how they're leveraging some of those people and skills that are re- relatively scarce. Um, and again, uh, ChatGBT come to the fore as it always does in these conversations and even how to write a wedding script for it. Enjoy the listen. Dave Tenton, welcome to the Sendeo podcast. How the hell are you? I'm good. It's hard to be on here. It's always good chatting to you, Oliver. Um, Great insight, as always, I'm sure. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've crossed paths, I guess, in many different ways over a number of years. Um, just thinking back, and I know we were chatting slightly off air there, vis-a-vis Egg Bank. And for our younger listeners, they probably will not know what I'm talking about. But Egg Bank was launched, I think you said, 1998. Um, was the first internet bank in the UK, which... So bear in mind, the iPhone didn't launch to 2007. Um, and DT, as you're known to most of your circle of friends and colleagues, um, you were involved in Egg back in those early, late 90s. Yeah, so yeah, early 2000s. Um, studied sport and was looking for something to do for, for six months. Uh, Egg Bank was just up the road, so I joined it for... And literally, it was just for a summer just to find something to do so I could find out what I actually wanted to do in my career and stayed there for five years. And yeah, like you say, it, it set me off on a, on a great path. But, but it was a bit of a blessing for me. They were, I guess, like the Monzo of today from 20 years ago. They were so far ahead of their time in trying things. They were, I think they had a product called Egg Money Manager, which was sharing your bank accounts across so you could see everything through egg and that is something that's only come out in the last few years again now so they they accelerated so quickly and it, it set me up perfectly it exposed me to so many different technologies so many approaches yeah i mean it, it it really does seem like back to the future in terms of and i'm trying not to count the years back but 2000 or 1980 1998 is what 30 years ago i'll say it quietly <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, I know it, 
DT, neither of us look that old, I have to say. Particularly you don't. Uh, but but then again, you, you've had a reasonably strong sporting career as well. Um, for those of you who don't know, DT is an English cricketer. Um, now, I'm not going to profess to know an awful lot about cricket being from Ireland. Albeit, last year we did turn England over in the World Cup. Um, I yeah. profess that I haven't played cricket. Well, I played cricket, again, being from Ireland, being from an Irish family, one of 11. Um, we would have played cricket um, during the summer, whenever the World Cup was on, when you have likes of Viv Richards. But DT, you've actually played at a professional level or a reasonably semi-pro level. And I'll, I'll let you explain your background in the cricketing world for me. Yeah, so played a lot when I was younger, but uh, uh, had a bit more time. There was no family around. Um, but yeah, it was a, a big, big part of my life for probably the first 30 years. Uh, which culminated obviously in the playing in the World Cup in 2014, which uh, it was actually an amazing experience flying out to Wellington, playing against. It, it's a different form of cricket that they are not the elite, but there are very elite players that are as good as they are the best in the world. And just to test yourself against people at that level was incredible. Some of those guys are they're contracted, they're training day in day out. Whereas we drove down to Bristol every Sunday to have a beer, train a little bit, try and work out what on earth we were doing out there. And we, we held our own, I think, we the most successful side for a number of years. And actually, it's grown from strength to strength, English indoor cricket, off the back of that, just because we could compete. And uh, what an experience just to go out there for a couple of weeks and, and just pit yourself against the best. It, it, it did actually put me into retirement, though, I think. Mean, just the strain on my body and the amount of effort it took. Uh, as soon as I got home, I think I agreed with my partner that that was probably it for a while. Well, you, you got there, um, and you were still a relatively young man at that stage, might I add. But um, as you say, it must have been a brilliant yeah. experience when you're pitting yourself against the elite of of the world, of the world, regardless of what sport or activity you do. That sort of has to be able to certainly drive you on, I would have thought. Yeah, definitely. And actually... I think the biggest thing is you just watch and see how they go about things. I mean, one of the things I've learned is if applying sport to business, applying sport to day-to-day life, just there's so many things that you can learn, just ways of working, kind of the motivation, teamwork, and actually that there is so much to learn. I think if you, you spoke to a lot of the cricketers that were, were training for that, you'd say they were pretty good and they knew a lot of stuff, but then as soon as you go and put that team in an elite scenario, you realise the gap to the best is such a long way. You don't notice it on telly, but they make it look so easy in any sport. Things like snooker, Ronnie O'Sullivan makes snooker look really easy, but go and try and pop two balls in a row, it, it's now impossible. It's, it shows how much they have to put in and the effort to get there. Yeah, I mean... Um it's a nice lead-in to, I guess, the topic of, of what I wanted to explore a little bit around today. Um, you know, obviously, I mentioned Egg Bank and a lot of the stuff that you do in terms of the, and have done for the last couple of decades in terms of customer engagement, customer experience. Um, but the lead-in from the sports angle, and it's when we first got to know each other, I guess, was back in the day in, in Sky. And yeah. again, the sporting angle here, um, People might be familiar with, with Team Sky back in the early noughties and uh, Sir Dave Brailsford, who then set out to, I guess, change 
British Cycling in particular, but also Team Sky. And uh, Brailsford had a concept of marginal gains. Um, I know you, you, you've taken that into the the business world. Um, and again, just the context that the marginal gains, so I think it was 2012, might have been the second or third year that Brailsford was in Team Sky, and they had Wiggins, Sir Bradley Wiggins, um, as part of the team. He went on to win the first, the become the first British winner of the Tour, Tour de France. Um, so the Tour de France is three thousand seven hundred kilometers, um, roughly over about eighty hours of cycling over a, a three week period. Um, the top five again. Just I was looking at a wee bit of the stats around the top five finishers in that race um, was a total of about five minutes between them. Um, if you split that out. It's about one-tenth of a second per kilometre. Um, now, that doesn't sound a lot, but if we come on to the theory that Brailsford and marginal gains was really about tweaking the smallest of things to get advantage. Um, and I know you started to adopt that within the world of Sky, within the world of business. Do, do you want to give me a little bit of background on that in terms of how you took that and how you started to adopt it within the business sense? Yeah, so I guess it was a bit of a, a bit of a fluke as well. So um, back in 2012, 13ish maybe, um, I was looking after our automated voice solutions at Sky, so all of our IVR technology. And I think we were probably a couple of months before year end, had a bit of capex to spare, had a chat down direction and said, look, what can we find? What are the benefits can we get? How can we drive customer experience and improve it in eight weeks? It's a short space of time. You can't kick off a new project. You probably can't get funding agreed normally. And it was a case of, here's a bit of money. Go and use some of the resources you've got and just see what you can do, um, which was kind of a, a blessing and a bit of a headache at the, at the time. But we just got a group of people together from different aspects of skills. So theory developers, I don't know if they still exist, obviously testers, uh, business analysts, and just said, look, based on everything we know, what could we do in eight weeks and really show that there's there's something actually for next year we could get our teeth into. Um, so I think the key for anything in marginal gains is data. So trying to get as much data on the platform as we could on performance, so look at your KPIs, where are some gaps, where you're performing well, and we identified a couple of areas that actually that would be really good to try and do a bit of tweaking um, without going into loads of detail on it, but we, we picked out stuff at the start of the funnel. So if you think actually taking IVR, the more people you can get through authentication, that then opens up the ability for you to then self-serve. Because if you can't authenticate them, you can't do anything with accounts. So they're kind of lost. So we thought actually the bigger bets are going to be higher at the funnel. So we thought let's focus on identification. And what we did was set up a, a piece of work around digging into some of those stats and some of the reasons why people might fail. Uh, and we stumbled across an absolute gem for us, which is actually on the platform that you created, Oliver, so on Speechstorm back in the day. We could really dig into that because it was so visual, so easy to understand, the stats were so easily accessible. We could see actually something that was performing, which you think, well, so an 80, 82% success rate, which you probably wouldn't identify as something needs improving. We thought, well, actually, because there's so much volume, 1% in that area is going to be a huge impact for us. And as we dug into it, it was such a simple thing in that we realized that the amount of time we set to listen for a customer's postcode wasn't long enough. 
And actually, if they weren't quick enough to tell us, we'd cut the end off and they never stood a chance. So a simple few second extension of that led to an 8% increase. So we got up to 90. And if you think Sky were taking 50, 60 million calls, something like that, actually, the impact of those few percentage was absolutely huge. And the number of people that could then self-serve, so you're hitting targets around we're saving OPEX because they're not hitting contact center. Customers can use our self-serve capability and actually it allowed us to buy in to then go and build more self-serve capability because actually your your targets got bigger. Um, but it, it was just a great, great example of kind of being in the right place and given the opportunity to go and dig in. And we really proved out a concept that we'd almost created that first real agile approach in Sky. There was pockets of it, but it never really accelerated. But just having that multifunctional team and allowing us to just go and dig in and be a bit self, self-managed self and kind of self-aware of those KPIs, it, it really helped us drive forward. And we, we kind of pushed that team for two or three years, and it just grew and grew and became almost the standard in Sky at the time. Yeah, and, um, you know, ostensibly this is a conversational AI podcast we're on, and people are probably going, why are we talking about IVR? Um, why are we talking about 15 years ago? But um, to, to me, and I'll, I'll let you elaborate on this, DT, as well, um, you know, while the technology changes, and, and you've been, as I said, from right from Egg uh, Bank through to um, Sky, and latterly you were at Capital One, and now you're at Vodafone, and there might have been a few other stops in between there as well. But, you know, you've been ostensibly doing the same thing, which is that customer engagement, regardless of whether it's IVR technology, speech rec, and now we've moved into the world of what everybody's raving about, um, conversational AI, and there's lots of promises. Um, I mean, do you see that you're doing the same sort of things? I know the tech's different, but are you approaching it in a similar manner that you were back then in the, you know, 2010-11 period? Yeah, I think the approach is the same. I think there's, there's so many different ways in which people approach Agile or Scrum. They're all methodologies, the same as Prince2. I remember doing my Prince2 back in the early 2000s, and it was very structured and regimented. But I think Agile as a methodology is just around delivering value quickly and actually failing fast. And I think software development, nine, I'd say 90, 95% of software development now is, is Agile because the benefits there. So actually the speed at which you can release and actually give value is not only value for these customers, but it helps you be more adaptable to change. I think if you set out even just 12 months ago, would you have said something like chat GPT would have suddenly launched and literally taken over everyone's thoughts and mindsets like it has done? Probably even go back six months, maybe September. I don't think it was on people's radar that something that significant could launch at the same at that scale. And I think it's excited the majority of people, probably terrified a lot. And I think there's still more to come. Yeah. And, you know, I know, again, without going back too much, but it was difficult, I think you said yourself, to even convince Sky, you know, to sort of pivot the organization to adopt adopt this methodology do you still find that's the same where you are now let's say and again it's not about comparing Vodafone or Sky or any organization all of these large organizations are are similar in many regard in terms of how they operate their capex their opex budgets and the constraints do do you find it's much more 
they're much more accepting, I guess, or willing to try these approaches than they would have been in the past? Uh, absolutely. I think because software development, it's interesting. If you look at a lot of black banks now, the Benefit Capital One as well, they become software development companies rather than banks. And I think Capture One is a huge tech company full of lots of data. I think Vodafone, its breadth is huge. It's not just around a mobile phone, it's home broadband, you've got all of our networks. It, it is an absolutely massive company and they know that the speed of change and the method that you do that is vital. So I think just that buy-in for how you approach development, I think is a lot easier to get. Um, it's not, I think the cost's not as, you wouldn't balk at it as much anymore because it's quite easy. You've got those resources available. You can quite easily pivot them. Um, I think we were speaking a few weeks ago that we're just trying the same sort of thing at Vodafone now with our AI, so with our Toby chatbot. We've spent a lot of time delivering a huge amount of functionality into that product. And actually, we're probably not focused enough on the day-to-day and how can we make some really small changes. It is. It has been less try and keep up with everyone in the market, be a market leader, which we've done really well. But actually, how can we now start to pick up those 1% and 2% and change customer experience that might become a 5%, it might be a 10% and keep as industry leading. And and do you, you see that now as a, as a key focus for you with with uh, within Vodafone, that sort of, I guess, operational enhancement performance? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we've got... I mean, it's no, it's no like hidden secrets like that. I think Vodafone are keen to stay at the top of the, the chatbot market amongst other things. So you've got some key players out there. NatWest's core product is really good. Um, there's lots going on around obviously chat GPT. Um, there's, there's so many things that might change the market. You have to be able to change quickly and adapt to those. But underlying, you've got a product that's serving millions of people a month how do you make sure that they are getting the best possible experience and actually having that time to step back and really dig into some of those experiences to improve them? That's long-term a benefit for any company because your customers, at the end of the day, they're the people that are keeping your business going. So let's make sure you give them the best possible experience you can. And and again, I know this is kind of old hat for you because you've been doing it for, for quite a few years. You've been old hat. <laughs> Four or five times now. I mentioned decades. I'm getting a complex. Sorry, mate. Um, I'll stop with that one right away. Then you're very young, DT, and much younger than I. Um, but I'm I'm trying to bring out your. I was going to say your decades of experience, which you probably have, but in in the nicest possible way. Um, but yeah, what I was going to ask is, um, you, you know, how how have you structured your teams within within Vodafone? So you're again. You can correct me here. I think you're senior manager for uh, Chatbot AI and, and voice as well at Vodafone. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so h- how do you, you know, is it the same you were doing 10, 15 years ago? How have you structured, let's say that, um, that Chatbot uh, team and, and how does that get structured? It's very similar, I guess. The challenge, if you if you were just looking after a Chatbot as in a display Chatbot, I think it's it would be a lot easier. And the approach we have is is we have uh, our agile team, so our pods, a set of product owners that look after different aspects of our chatbot, whether that's kind of our get help experiences, our sales experiences, perhaps some of the billing stuff. So we've got product experts that are backed up by business analysts, 
testers, uh, conversation designers, which uh, I think is a really rare new skill to the market. And we know for a while it's quite a difficult skill to recruit. Um, I, I can touch on how we, I think we're approaching that and we've got a good model to, to keep ourselves kind of well structured in there and make sure we've got a, a nice pathway for people coming through the business. But that is kind of the core function they're working on the day-to-day demand, the long-term vision, um, and what we've done recently is to look at how conversation I are then sits in voice, which we've got a very mature, well-structured IVR, which is under my remit as well, and we're looking at how we make that more conversational. I think if you go back to even probably Egg, when we had a very simple voice recognition, it was we had to tell you what we thought your intent was, and you would just say yes or no. And then we'd have another go to see if you could disambiguate that a bit more and you'd just say yes or no. But with the advent of iPhones, with Alexa, um, just in general, people speak more, they're more conversational. And actually, how do you bring voice along with that? So we're on a, a path to try and align those two products. So to have Toby really support voice and really support a display chatbot. But I guess the challenge is, to me, they're very different skills. How yeah. you speak to someone in a voice environment, the way in which you type, and how you, the things that are available to you. you in a display, you could put a carousel, you can put imagery, very simple steps that are quicker, but you can't, you can't be reading terms and conditions to a, a customer on the, on the phone. You can't say, which iPhone would you like? Would you like 64 gig? Yes or no. Would you like 120 gig? Yes or no. They're going to say, I'd like a an iPhone 14 in blue, 128 gig, only want a 12-month contract. Um, I don't need it for a month. I want an eSIM. How can you collect all that and create that into a conversation? I think that's where we need to kind of focus our efforts, and that's where the future will be. Yeah, I mean, it, that that's interesting because, you know, a lot of maybe it's on the vendor side. There's a big push around the um, omni-channel, as it once was called. I'm not sure whether that's still called that. But, um, you know, having those different modalities of interaction um, but the key is can you have one platform that delivers so just picking up on that you know the, the visual chatbot display vis-a-vis the voice are you using the same I'm going to use the word flow and I know that's not the right context in a conversational sense but are you using the same approach in terms of your voice or do you intend to do that or will you split them out separately and as you said there are different skill sets required for sure uh, so we're just at the start of that. So we've built some out. Um, so what, the way we've approached them is we have our display conversation designers who are really adept at kind of designing those experiences for a display environment, so for text. And then we've got our historic IVR specialists who understand telephony. They're, they're an exceptional resource towards and we're, we're pairing them up. So you've got, on one hand, this is how we design for conversations and this is how chatbots work and then we've got the way in creation for saying it's kind of the old school IVR people that understand kind of the advisors, the genesis of the world and how they're structured and how they get data and kind of working together to understand what does make a great voice experience because I said that they are completely different skills. The same with an agent, someone that works on chat and someone that works on voice that they, they tend not to interact or inter swap between themselves as, as easily. They're very different skill sets. So it's a challenge we're just approaching. We're very lucky in that Vodafone is obviously a global company and we've got 20 plus kind of operations around the world that are all invested in Toby. 
So everyone's at a different stage. So some are ahead in voice, some are ahead in display. But we have got a great kind of process for our central group function that allows us to share those experiences, whether that's just best practice, whether that's the technology, because we're all sat on kind of one group Toby platform, which is really useful to us. But I think it's just making sure that we can learn as much as possible from them. But obviously apply the UK market because everyone is so different. And yeah. we're noticing that. And, you know, again, a lot of the terminology we use in the industry, chatbot, voicebot, in your move to the voice world where you are in the UK, are, are you thinking of, I guess, restructuring it in a voice bot scenario um, or is it using your or a new IVR technology to rewrite or a combination of both? So I think we, we build so the, the voice bot, as you want to call it that, will sit on the same platforms as a display. So we'll have them all within kind of a, whether that's like an IBM Watson or a CLU or something like that. And then you'd still, you'd still need the IVR. There's a lot of things within our IVR with our business customers, a lot of what we supply to our kind of companies, it all fits in our IVR, so they, they don't need all of that technology. And things like a pay-as-you-go, we've got a really successful pay-as-you-go capability that if you want to use the word that I don't realize, it's contained, everyone's contained within that because they're just topping up and it's DTMF, but it's mm-hmm. perfect for someone typing a card number. I think you could change that to voice, but actually would it work as well? Is it as easy? Probably not. I think you'd leave that within kind of the main platform and just have your kind of your original intent understanding within the IVR. What do they need to do? And then we know that these 40 intents, they go out to our voice Toby experience and the rest go into a, a DTMF or straight to an agent because actually getting certain scenarios to an agent quickly is still the best practice. Yeah. And it's interesting that level of, I guess, customer focus and pragmatism around what you're doing because you know I, again I was involved last year it was a it was a new bank launching in the US and you know they initially started a la egg as in we just want digital we'll never use a contact center and then all of a sudden it become we need a contact center and then it was very much we wanted to be completely conversational natural language as opposed to sitting down and thinking well what's the demographic what is the best modality whether that's as you said you know you're quite happy to mix touchstone and dtmf with voice bots uh obviously yeah. chat for the visual side of things so it's an interesting pragmatic approach i guess but you're being led i assume by data and by what you believe works for the customers and what's working for vodafone yeah we're going through a process now looking at kind of how our customers interact and kind of what is the best approach and We've got our contact center kind of leadership is really strong and they're, they're supporting us in, in that actually don't try and force demographics or personas that can't use digital to try and use digital. Let's educate them and actually they might move to the future, but there are a proportion of people that you just will not be able to serve in a digital experience for whatever reason, whether they're not digitally savvy, they don't want to, the scenario doesn't really fit to a digital experience or Actually, they just they just don't want to at that point in time. They might be really digitally savvy, but at that point in time, they just need to speak to someone. So don't make it difficult. Yeah. A lot of previous KPIs in, in in most companies I've been involved in is around actually how can we get or trap people in digital. That uh, I don't think that's a great customer experience, but it looks great on paper. Finance people used to love it because actually 
you're containing 70% of all these people and that means X on the bottom line, but are you losing that through customers, through retention and churn because the experience is poor? And I think people have become more and more savvy to great experience and they're willing to pay more, but they, they will go to a, a company based on their experience. Just, just look at someone like Monzo. Their, their experience is great. They're so transparent. If there's an outage, they give you like the internal report to tell you what went wrong and why it went wrong and what they're doing to fix it. And it's just that it builds trust and real brand loyalty, which I think Vodafone are really big on building kind of that advocacy of the brand. Yeah, and you know, obviously this all still revolves around that agile, iterative approach. So it's do something, see the benefit or indeed the downside and then yeah. change and adapt and repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was just thinking about this yesterday. I was just thinking of things that I think would be quite good subject. If you think of agile methodologies and kind of conversational AI, I think your NLU is constantly being trained. You're constantly trying to think of actually how could I improve this? And that, in, in essence, is module gains. You're chipping away at it. That doesn't work. Let's move that back and it's tweaking and tuning. And actually, how do you enhance your responses? So if I say this back to a customer, do they understand what I'm saying? Or should I use different terminology? Or actually, even better, how do you start to personalize those responses yeah. to your customer? And I think that's that's something that I think we will put a lot of focus in that customers don't, they might not understand certain terminology, statuses. We might refer to product names, things like how do you really understand that your customer is understanding what you're trying to say to them as well as vice versa? Yeah, I mean, just, you know, a couple of things I'll come back to, but touching on that personalization piece, it was a big thing we used to talk a lot about, again, 15 years ago. And again, even though the technology has changed, um, I think the concept is still very pertinent and relevant. I think we had a term called uh, one size does not fit all. Um yeah. Again, that is that the type of thing you're you're now you know not now because implies you haven't done it, but that's what you want to incorporate more and more so into the foundation that you've built out with the core chatbot platform. Yeah, so we've got, and I think with every company, you've got so much information on your customers. It how can you access that information and make use of it real time? Um, I and mean, if you call a company, I think probably five, ten years ago, it's great that they knew your name through a system. If it said, hi, Dave, you were like, oh, brilliant, it, it knows who I am. But it kind of just infers a bit of trust that actually they know who I am, so something's going to be personalised about this experience, but that's probably not enough anymore. And I don't, I can't think of a company, I don't know if you can, that have really nailed personalisation that well yet. But if we can start to use that, we've got all the data of where you've just been. So from a an experience perspective. If you've just been online, we wouldn't want to then say to you if you've called up, actually, why don't you go online? Here's a better experience and cut you off. That's what companies would have done a few years ago. But if we know you've been online and you've been on the page that we're sending to you, that's not a great experience. We're just looping you around. So how do we use that information to say, well, actually, based on what we know, Dave's just been online on our website and now called, so he's not been able to find what he needs. I know he's just had a bill in the last three days. There's a chance that because he's calling straight after a bill, he's probably calling about something on that bill. So first step, is there anything on there that we can call out? So can the chatbot say, I see you've been online looking at your bill. 
I've noticed that you've got a, a, an unusually high bill because you've been roaming. Is that what you're trying to contact about? That experience to me is much better than can you tell me who you are, what's your intent, what 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 are you looking for today? Oh, my bill's wrong. What about you? That could be a five, six, seven minute conversation just to get to a point that we already know. Why why would any company ask a customer something that they already know? And it's that use of that data that I think is the challenge. And I think conversational AI with that personalization in could be absolutely amazing for customer experience. It's just getting that right and, and working out the right scenarios and when to actually apply that. Yeah, you're right. There's very few companies that I'm aware of that have actually nailed that personalization. There's certainly a lot. I remember doing some work with Emirates Airlines a number of years ago, and, and certainly they had a large focus on that in terms of you know, what type of customer you were, where you were calling, any issues with flight paths, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, I, I, you know, again, I wouldn't say it's a new frontier because it's the frontier we've been working at for a, for a few years now. But um, And I think that's what some of the new maybe entrants into this industry in terms of conversational AI are, are maybe lacking um, is, you know, a lot of these concepts, while the technology is very good, you know, you need to work hard. And I have a concept I call transactional AI, which is kind of that, you know, it's tying up all the data you know about a customer and then trying to make sense of that data. Um, so while you can have a, a really conversational front door, if there's, if there's nothing underpinning that or if the, if the house is empty or a shell whenever you enter it, so to speak, then the experience becomes somewhat diluted. Yeah, and if, if you can't add that level of, even it's not even just personalization, but that level of integration you're going to struggle unless you are just an information chatbot. Yeah. So back in an FAQ chatbot, that's where it started. We, we, all I'm doing is regurgitating information that's probably available somewhere else on the website. They've just not found it. I think that, that was the basics. When I was at Sky, I think when we looked at Nina as a chatbot from Nuance, that was yeah. the first thing we tried as a, an FAQ chatbot. How do we surface information that's all across multiple websites into one place? And actually that that had its benefit it helped with routing it helped with some kind of self-serve but now people are expecting more from a chatbot and i think with the launch of chat gpt they're going to expect even more from chatbots but it also means that i think people will start to trust them and try them that was always a challenge in actually i don't want to even try but if they if we can start to prove that there is personalization that can solve your issues I do understand your current situation. That is the next level experience that you get from speaking to someone, speaking to an agent. And maybe you probably even get a better experience than you would speaking to an agent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the again, an analogy I've used for a long time is, I know it's a very simplistic one, is the ATM. You know, you go to an ATM and the interaction, is okay, it's not conversational, but it's, it's automated and you yeah. can guarantee pretty much every time you press those buttons and you ask for... 10 pounds or 20 pounds not that we use cash anymore but anyway i'm sure my age that you're going to get that and i would rather do that than stand in a queue um for a teller behind a bank to ask for 20 pound or 40 pound whatever it happens to be so i think you're right it's there are scenarios there but again the the transactional nature of it has has to work um what a couple of things i want to bring back to you mentioned about the um well, at the top of the discussion, you mentioned VUI designers or voice user interface designers, as we would have called them. Um, and you've talked about the conversational designers, which are now critical to what you guys are doing in, um, in Vodafone. Talk to me a little bit more about that and 
how you're actually utilizing that within the project because that's again a critical part of it i would imagine yeah so the way we're we're structured at the minute is we have our, our generic scrum pod teams which are our developers and our product owners and then we have chapters going across them and one of those chapters is our conversation with designers so they look at everything from kind of the nlu through customer experience the dialogue flows or the actual design of the, the journeys and they're they're continually optimizing those so I think if you go back to kind of the original conversation we had about what was the intent and then we send you down a path, I think the conversation design skill is that, that original intent, how, if you've not got it right and you've sent them down a path, previously you couldn't get them back, you would probably spend it with an agent in frustration. But actually, the way in which these guys design those experiences, there can be multiple intents. You can get halfway through and realize if that's, that's not actually what's working, how do you then restart that conversation without it being actually now tell us again what you want there's there's lots of different kind of spiders webs and journeys that they've got to design for that it is a really complex experience and you can probably split it into two and one you've got to get that intent right and then when you do have that intent right which is really difficult how do you create a really compelling experience within either chat or voice so it, it applies to both and yeah like we said it's a it's a rare skill i think it's a new skill um, we were chatting the other day around some, when the web was invented, web designers took off, and then when the iPhone came out, app designers took off. Now, conversational eyes here, conversation designers are taking off, but it's still a, a quite a niche skill and, and one that's really valuable to a company. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. And I think I've used this term before, we've gone through this um, peak of inflated expectation, I think is a Gartner term they use, um, around chatbot technology and AI, particularly in the customer experience arena for a number of years. But now, you know, and, and you're proving it in terms of what you're doing with Vodafone. I know we're working with other large organizations who are similar. They're actually putting a structure around that and there are, you know, a number of key components and the conversational design element of that is it's certainly one of the most critical because the technology is starting to become more table stakes, if you will, in terms of, you know, the, the, the NLU, the natural language understanding and NLP does work pretty well. Yes, you need data. Yeah. Um, but actually extracting that, the value out of that and in terms of understanding the customer aspect of it is critical. Um, and, and I agree, you know, I see, as I said, like same as you were doing with the Vodafone, a couple of other customers we were working on, again, they're putting, you know, significant investment on projects around it because they're getting the benefits uh, clearly are getting the benefit out of it and is driving experience yeah i think if you if you set outside of the, the chatbot world so to speak i don't think you'd really understand what a conversational designer did and i'll be honest before coming into kind of vodafone and toby i didn't so i think the, the complexity behind that role is only something that you see when you start to dig into it and the values that, that they can add um I was chatting at a, a chatbot meetup last week or week before uh, with another company, but they're investing even more than we are. That the amount of kind of conversation with designers they're bringing in, data scientists that they're putting or hedging all their bets that that is the the skill and the kind of the route for for them to approach with. Yeah, and I mean, I think you know, and again, touching back on the ChatGPT, which everybody's talking about, that has obviously brought it to a consumer world. So there's now well, A, there's an expectation, but also there's an acceptance, I guess, from consumers that this, you know, whether ChatGPT is, is 
returning the right information. Uh, it sounds as if it is for sure. So there's more of an acceptance there within within the world, uh, the consumer world, and therefore the expectations that anything that you as Vodafone or indeed any other organization will put in front of them from a, a chat capability is going to be like chat GBT, as, and I, I mean as conversational and as good as it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, it is going to drive the uptake much more and it's going to put the focus on, you know, the organizations to actually make sure they're putting the right project and scope around that. Yeah, it's definitely, I think it's created a window and I think it's up to the businesses and people like us to work out how we make best use of that because like you say, it's opened up chatbots and the capability for everyone to see and actually people may that, that might not have used it before go, I'll give that a go because I've just been playing with chat GPT with my son and it's written his homework. How can that chatbot on Vodafone, can that do the same thing and tell me everything I need to know? So. How do you leverage that, but at the risk of disappointing because it is so powerful for day-to-day, just general knowledge. I think it's 2021 and back, it knows absolutely everything. And I, I was messing with it the day. I've got it to write my wedding speech and things like that. <laughs> it won't add to my level, but it, it's giving you a structure to everything. But then how do you use that for your business? Do you close it off and just use the data on your website? Are you at risk of getting things wrong? How can you add personal data to that? Kind of what are the risks around it? I think chatting to a bank, they are really risk adverse with it. They don't want to put it customer facing and who's going to be first to have a go? We all saw Google had a go at trying to compete with Microsoft and they tripped up, but I think lots of people are going to trip up. They're going to have a go and it's going to give the wrong information. It's got the risk of being biased. And that's something that I'm learning now and really trying to work out is how is that bias going to affect that experience in the future? Because it can only be trained on what you tell it. It's not, everyone thinks it's magic. It's, it's still being trained. So it only can learn from, from what it knows already. Yeah, no, that, that's true. I suppose the key question is, are you going to use that for your wedding speech or not? Or is Miley have something uh, to say? I am really good. To talk, <laughs> yeah. I, I've never got married before, so what, what do you say? I've never listened. I've always been the best man, so what, what do I need to do? Who do I need to thank? So, yeah, I was just messing about on the train, but it, it wouldn't actually go into the level of jokes that I think I'll want to use, so I, I, I can't use I'd say it'll be perfect, DT. Um, and we'll move on before before we get you into a hole that you can't dig yourself out of down the line. Um Again, sticking with the chat GPT theme to a degree, again, was worked with a, a customer recently and from quote unquote upon high it's a bit like you said there was a decision that um, we need to be using chat gpt and we set a project up and it's eight weeks and what can we do so do, do you see a lot of that um from i guess maybe the senior execs within an organization going why are we not using this now and let's do it straight away we've not seen it at vodafone but i do know of companies that are doing that because perhaps companies that aren't as advanced as we are with a chatbot. I think we're lucky in that Vodafone, before I even came here, were very forward thinking and they they saw the opportunity and, and what Toby as a kind of a product could give to their customers. So we, I think we are way ahead of the curve and that's serving as well now. But there will be companies out there where CEOs are going, well, oh, actually, we want a piece of this. We need to be doing something. There's a value in there. Go and do it. And I think throughout my 20-odd year career, 
I've seen a lot of times where a piece of technology is thrown at you, this will be really good, use it, but you don't have the use case and actually it, it fails. And that's one of the things that Vodafone are really good at is let's find the opportunity for it and let's use data to say actually, will it work for us? Let's not just jump on the hype, but actually let's find a proof of concept, an area to test and learn and actually does it deliver what it needs? Things, things like this do come and go a lot in the industry. So let's make sure that actually we invest wisely. There's, there's lots of cost pressures on every company at the minute with the just general cost of living. So people aren't or companies aren't as kind of keen to just throw money at something. So make sure that you've got the right case behind it, the right KPIs, and you can prove whether it is working or not. But I suspect there will be a lot of people that have just had a, an email saying, here's, here's what I've seen. It, this has been a main box probably 20 times a week for the last, six weeks, we've built the first chat GPT, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It, Have a go at it. Yeah, no, it, it's, I do laugh because you're right, it's the same um, for the last number of years with new technology and people jump in. And it kind of brings us back, you know, to the start of the conversation around, you know, your days back in Sky where you had your, you know, for the end of the year, CapEx, go and find something that's going to make a difference. And yeah. I, I would say in this world, really the approach should not be any real difference. Let, let's go and find something that's going to make a difference to the business. And how do we go yeah. about doing that? Yeah, I'm interested to see how many companies have got that at the minute. Um, I think if you've got that opportunity, it, it is a great one to go and prove something new. Um, I think there's, a, there's going to be a challenge with free resource, kind of having that level of investment to do that R and D, and there's a reliance on companies like your, your big corporates like Genesis or kind of your big technology companies in the world to to kind of come to clients with a half formed capability. I don't think we've got kind of the, the level of time or people to invest in really kicking something off from the ground. So it's it's up to those vendors and suppliers and third parties to be able to come to you and say right. We've got it to this point. We can prove this out. How can we work with you? We, you've done the hard work. Like Sindeo, obviously you've got a great platform there. Go into somebody and say, we've, we've got it to this point. This is how we see it working. We've done all the kind of the, the legwork. Let's find some use cases where we can just test to see if this works for you. That's the, that'll be the big benefit to, to companies, even the, the size of Vodafone. People come into us with, here's an opportunity. We've got it to this point. Yeah. And again, I mean, we are repeating it, but you're absolutely right that those use cases are, are the critical thing. And then how do you execute on those? Does the technology let you execute, which it should? If, if in this day and age the technology doesn't let you execute in that iterative manner, then you certainly would be questioning, is it the right tech stack to be using? Um, and then it's around, I guess, building the team around that and the different roles and responsibility, the conversation of designers, the integration guys, um, that the, you know the, the routing the agent teams all in and around that from an agile perspective is, is I guess I'm trying to summarize here in, in a few words yeah. not as eloquently as you might DT in terms of how to go about these projects yeah there's different a few different aspects to it so and the one thing I, I've never professed to be a technology expert I, I don't fully understand conversational AI but I don't think I need to I think my strengths lie in kind of spotting opportunities and kind of articulating how we could kind of progress as a, a business. 
but also building the right teams and getting the right people in. Uh, if, if you look at our, our Vodafone teams, I mean, the team was there when I came in, but actually it's about how do you get the best out of those people. You've got people in senior roles, you should be using them as experts. It's not down to me to tell them how to progress. It's, they are experts in their field. So working as a kind of a high-performing team and there's lots of podcasts and theories on this, but actually building those high-performing teams will get you the biggest output. Um, so I think that's kind of the underlying kind of best practice structure, like we said about Sky, just starting to build that agile way of working. That's what will underpin any progression. So that, that, that's the key thing for me. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's perfectly summed up. Um I'm conscious now we're probably running up against the, the time and I'm sure you have lots of other things. I would love to explore a lot more around what you're doing at Vodafone and how you've built out Toby and I guess plans for the future. But that may be the subject of a, of a, of a subsequent podcast, if you don't mind, one yourself or indeed one of your team. Um, but we can explore, explore that in more detail if you don't mind. That would be brilliant. Um, so... I will, I guess, probably wrap up. Um, I, I guess a few takeaways is around how you're focusing really from marginal gains, business value proposition, leveraging the technology to help drive um, and ultimately underpinning that with the right people and the right team structure. An excellent summary. Yeah, exactly that. I, um, I, I could maybe yeah. end up in your job, DT, at some point, could I? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't have the years of experience that you have and coming back to the age thing again, do you see? <laughs> um, listen, listen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Everything that kind of I've been part of over the years has stemmed from kind of working with people like yourself from suppliers. I think one of the things that's really stood me in good stead is that I've worked with that many suppliers and products and people that I've just kind of been like a sponge to all that and you are kind of taking the best from everyone so i've been really lucky in that i've moved around i've got to meet lots of people and that has kind of shaped my learnings i've, I've actually been able to watch other people succeed and fail fast without me needing to so i can take learnings and i think that's the, the biggest thing for me is learning from everyone else around you just taking that in yeah perfect um the one thing i'll say is just send me a transcript of the wedding um speech whenever you finish it um well it's always a learning it's not that i plan to get married again either i've been married once and that that's more than sufficient for me <laughs> i'll tell you but i'll be really interested to see how chat gpt has done in terms of the wedding speech and i'll send you the chat gpt version of my edited with uh, my own level of dry humor perfect i look forward to that one dt it's been no, it's been a pleasure dt as always um thank you for your time and as i said i definitely will um We'll be in contact as we are all the time, but I certainly would love to run another session and delve into a little bit more in terms of what you guys are doing in Vodafone because you are, as you said, leading not just from your own industry, um, but as a as a consumer brand and in terms of the customer experience, you are definitely leading. So if if that's okay, we'll we'll try and pick that one up again at some point in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's bring a tech partner in and we'll We'll let them talk around the technology and kind of how that's being used. Perfect. Again, my friend, thank you. And we'll chat soon. Take care. Cheers.